Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Let's start out praising the Lord with You Are My Vision. Good morning.
Everybody have a good Christmas? Oh, I, I was doing really good till I got on scales this morning. They screamed. Um, so I was blessed, blessed with a wife that can really cook and uh, cursed with an appetite, I guess. So decided my New Year's resolution starts early. Um, oh, my name is Gary, by the way. I'm supposed to... Uh, <laughs> it's like a, a Dieters Anonymous group, right? <laughs> I'm Gary, and I'm overweight. Um, youth group tonight will be here uh, at 5.30, and uh, the other one that we have, a uh, real short list of uh, announcements this morning, just a reminder that uh, if you want to uh, give and have your offering count for 2020, it needs to be in the office by Thursday. And uh, Julie also did tell me that if you want her um, checking account number, she'll give you that, and you can put that in there. But, all right, let's uh, continue worship. Mighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King. 
That hell. 
soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days his body there would not remain our God has robbed the our God has robbed the Father God, you are resurrecting us even now, every single day. I love that phrasing, how it says you're resurrecting us. And when you came to this earth, Father, you didn't come to make bad people good. You came to make dead people alive. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And we ask that you would bless Shane's words today and that they would not be his, but that they would be yours from your word into our hearts and into his. Um, and we love you. And we thank you, Father, for whatever it is that you have planned for us this amazing, amazing next year. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all may be seated. Nursery, uh, nursery kids, follow Julie, and she'll take you where you need to go. See you, June. Bye. Just priceless, right? <clears throat> Clearly, we need to do something to clean this section, I guess. It's... Uh... <clears throat> Uh, good morning. I just I want to say thank you to the women of the church. It's one of the few times I get to preach in a T-shirt, um, but this was a gift from for Christmas for me. I'm not sure if you can see what it says, but it says the Sermonator. So, and as I don't have a good Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, voice, I won't even attempt to make the obvious connection, except for maybe at the end of the service. So. <clears throat> Uh, I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas, and obviously as we're excited about the new year and what God's going to do this next year, um, there are lots of things to be concerned about and anticipations to have, and um, this morning in our text, it's, it was interesting to me as I was uh, thinking about 
where we are heading and, and, and what the text um, is about. And it's, it's about Peter's uh, denial of Christ. And yet I think as we complete the process today, um, hopefully what you'll realize is this is more about Jesus than it is about him. And yet it's an incredible reality that Pete does deny Jesus. <clears throat> the three times. So um, as we begin this process, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a spot where your parents have caught you doing something you shouldn't. Do any of you remember one of those moments? A few of you do? Okay, some of you are honest, others are just mature. Forgetful that? That's a yes, there we go. Uh, I, I remember a particular moment in my life where my mom caught my brother and I. We were uh, we were good youth group kids, and uh, we were country boys, and so we had CBs in our vehicles. We were both of the age to drive. I was uh, still going to youth group. He was still going to youth group, and we we're supposed to come home right after, um, right after church, after youth group, because you know we had chores to do and stuff that needed to be done. And all of our friends were going to Burgerville which was a very common, you know, it was the burger shop to go to, milkshakes and all that right after youth group, big deal. And some of you remember, that was kind of the cool thing to do after youth groupers, right? You go with your buddies, especially the cool kids down to do that. Well, we weren't supposed to, and my brother and I were on the radio having a discussion about uh, to the validity of our decision to go there and just deal with the consequences when we got home, and we were talking back and forth on the CB. Well, what we were unaware of at that time in our age was that um, how radio waves work, and there was a particular path for whatever reason uh, from my mom, from our house, which was 23 miles from town at that time, through a couple of mountain ridges, and you, you had to drive, all, it was it was not a we didn't think there was a clear line of sight. Anyways, there happens to be this one spot in town where my brother and I sat that day on our CBs discussing whether or not we should go home. Now, my brother thought we should, which was probably the only really good decision he made as a child. Um, that's my perspective. He probably made more than one, but I'm just throwing him under the bus this morning. Uh, he's probably not going to listen to the sermon, so it's okay. Um, but somehow my mom is sitting at home and our base station is on because we had that on for, you know, if people are up in the woods needing help. And she overheard enough of the conversation to realize that we were having a discussion about whether to come home or not. Now, the, the cool part was she couldn't reach out to us, so we didn't hear a voice from God at that moment, and we made a bad decision. And we suffered the consequences. But you know that moment when you come home and your mom's looking at you going, I heard what you guys said. And we're like, How? And she begins to explain. I, uh, I think Peter has a much more profound moment than that, um, but, but it's an interesting thing how, how we try and get around or, or how we, we work with our own emotions, our own feelings, our own, our own sin issues, and um, by the faithfulness of God, he exposes them many, many times. And I know in my childhood that happened more than once, and um, I have, I'll share one other illustration with you down here as we get into the text. But this morning, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 66, and we'll read our text this morning. <clears throat> and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter 
warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither uh, I know, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. As we see Peter in this process, and, and you know, Jesus had, remember, Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And here Peter is trying to follow Jesus. And remember his determination to not be the guy that leaves, right? Remember Pete? He was the guy that was, he was determined. He even told Jesus as he was sharing with, with Jesus and his brothers, his, his good friends, his disciples, even if these guys deny you, I will not. In fact, even to the point of death, Jesus, even if everything else goes, I will go and die with you. Uh, he was so confident in his own ability, and yet, and yet Jesus was exposing the, the propensity for failure in his heart and, and the issues that he was going to deal with in this process, the difficulty that was going to come. And in this moment, Peter is in a, in a spot where he's exposed, and he's confronted in this moment by the bystanders who are around him, right? We actually see several uh, servant girls. And, and I want to sh- just take a real quick s- second. We talked a little bit about the, the cold case Christianity and this Los Angeles detective who goes through and applies those tactics to the gospel. And this is actually one of those moments where when we read a text, we're going to read a similar text from a different passage, and it looks like it's it actually contradicts itself, um, but if you go and watch that, I ju- you just need to see how how those detectives use uh, storytelling and how they how they interview people to try and get to the truth. Um, and this is one of the passages that he would actually argue is evidence for its uh, for its actual eyewitness account because the details vary just a little bit. It's not a it's not a fake account where they got it all lined up perfectly so all the details are exact. It's actually different eyewitness accounts and, and a different perspective. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Matthew chapter twenty six, verse uh, sixty nine through seventy five. Matthew twenty six, and I love it. A couple of people brought their paper Bibles today so they can make some noise ruffling. And I, here I was, yeah, I thank you. I I love that. I was just giving you guys a hard time the last. I guess it's been a couple of weeks. Maybe I should knock that off. Um, we talked. Somebody talked about getting an app for their phone that made page noises. I, I'm guessing you can do that too. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. It says this, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystander, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out 
and wept bitterly. So as you look at that text, just as a note, you'll notice that, that Luke's or, uh, you know, Matthew's account was slightly different than Mark's, um, but I think if you do the research and you actually study it, you can see how easily uh, a different per- person's perspective could see it that way. But here's Peter, and he's trying to follow Jesus, and his, his, uh, the, the, the desire of his heart to not be noticed is just exposed. And so he changes locations because, man, if, I, if, if these people think I'm here, I'm going to go over here and stand with these people. You see what he did? He moved, he moved from where he was at. He moved to, away from there to the entrance to another group of people, and he's warming himself probably by another fire because it was cool at that point in the time. And he's, he's being exposed in that moment. And as this exposure is happening, the, the talk is obviously growing because now the bystanders are all starting to come to him and say, hey, wait a minute. And, and they're, they're pointing out the reality of who he is, who he claims to be as a disciple of Jesus, and he denies it. Do you guys ever get to the point where you realize that that's God's gracious hand to confront us in our sin? To expose our sin? You know, as parents, we do that, right? We're like, this is for your good. That's, that's why we're going we're gonna to expose your flaws and failures and help you to be better in life. Right, parents? That's how we present it. At least when we're not angry. When we're doing it well, right? We're, we're there for them. That's what God does for us as his children. Isn't that great? That's where you're supposed to say amen. Because... <laughs> It is what he's doing. Whether we like it or not, it's exactly what God does. He doesn't leave us in our junk. He doesn't leave us in our mess, but he gives us opportunities. We, we coined it up in Enos Valley. We call it opportunities for growth, which if you, if you can turn your perspective around from the things that you don't like and call them opportunities for growth, it makes it seem more spiritual. I don't, don't know if it makes it any easier to deal with, but it sounds more spiritual in church. So here's Peter, and he's being exposed, and the, the people around him are, are, are re- revealing his own heart issue in this minute, in this moment. And Peter, what does he do? He adamantly denies the reality of the exposure of his heart, right? Adamantly denies it. I mean, he, he, he gets pretty intensely serious about this particular moment in his life that he is not going to admit it. He's not going to back down. Um, I remember uh, an illustration in my life. You guys would think I'd run out of these, but God has given me a ton of them. So um, I had a moment, and, and I may have shared this with you. I, I'm, I'm mature enough now not to remember who all I've shared my stories with. And uh, there was a point in my life where um, I was pretty rebellious at home. I know that's hard to imagine. Um, some of you have heard I've had a, I have a problem with authority. Um, or I, I, I did, especially as a teenager, I was pretty good at it. And uh, so I, I come home one day, and my dad and I have gotten into a big fight. My mom comes out, and I'm expecting her to side with me, which had been commonly the case. And she sides with him. And, and so I, I don't even remember what I said, but I'm sure it was warranted the response that I got from them, which was, get out. I was 18 years old, and I was told to leave the premises. Go get your stuff and leave. And you know what I did? Why, sure. Finally, with your blessing, I'm out of here. And this is what I did. I went, um, my, my aunt and uncle at the time, 
uh, had offered me an education in engineering. And all I had to do was move up there with them, and I'd work in their, I'd work in their business and, and go to school uh, during the week. I'd work in the evenings and on Saturdays for them, and I'd have Sunday off to do whatever I wanted to, and they were going to pay me to work up there uh, a small stipend and pay for my schooling. And I thought, I'm, I'm set. I'm going to go up and do that. So I drive up there in my 1965 Corvair, and I pull into my aunt and uncle's house, and I knock on the door, and I remember my aunt and uncle meet me at the door. And they said, you will not live in our house. You're going to go home and make the situation right with your parents and get rid of your attitude. They weren't even Christians. Like, where did they come up with that? I left the Christian family to go to the non-Christian family because they'd understand the mess I was living in with my Christian parents. And they kicked me out. And my aunt and uncle would not accept me. And so in complete humility, I had to slink back home because I had nowhere to stay that night. And my best laid plans were exposed and laid waste. And I went home and apologized and probably bitterly. probably took me a few years to get over that. And by the end of that summer, I was in South America, Columbia on a missions trip. Who knows what God does and why he does it. But somehow in that moment, when all, everything that I thought I was living for and all my best laid plans and, and the rebelliousness of my heart, God stopped me in my tracks and reversed the whole direction of my life. Here we see Peter, and he's being confronted by the wretchedness of his heart, and he begins to, he, he actually, I mean, it says that he actually invokes a curse, begins to invoke a curse on himself. What is certainly um, in verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. What's interesting to me about this is that this is actually something that Jesus particularly spoke to them about in the Sermon on the Mount. This was not, it's not like Peter wasn't aware of, of how wrong his behavior was at this moment and what he began to do even farther. And how often do we do that, right? When we start a rebellious act and we get caught, if, if we stay in it, we tend to sin more. Like when we get really locked in in our bad attitude, we just make it worse. We go from worse to worser, Right? Thank you. Some of you guys do. I, it's okay. We're just making up words. Um, but it's really what our heart does. And here Peter does that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, look at what Jesus says about this particular issue. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 33. He says this, And again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have, what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And James reminds us of that exact teaching in James chapter 5, verse 12. He says this, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. 
So here in Peter's rebellion, in Peter's attempt to uh, deny, it's, it's amazing, he was trying to not deny Jesus, and he ends up denying Jesus three times, and he does it adamantly to the point where he even begins to invoke a curse and to swear on himself. You know, I've been working on this in my own life. Uh, every now and then we have this conversation where I'll be like, uh, truthfully or honestly, I add this qualifier to something that I'm going to say. Why? Why do we do that? Honestly, why? <laughs> it's good filler. But, but why do we do that? As a Christian culture, why, would we, why do we have to qualify what we're saying? Everything that comes out of my mouth should be the truth. Right? I think, I think sometimes why we do that is because we all know that if we were really to say what we were truly thinking at times, we'd have to shove our foot in our mouth and ask for forgiveness. And so we've become good or comfortable with lying. With, with slight truths, with almost honest responses. Have you guys ever asked somebody how they're doing when they come to church? And realized as they begin to share with you the dredges of their story that you didn't mean it? Now, that's a funny one, but let's just be honest about that for a minute. <laughs> there it is again. If I was genuinely concerned about people, when I engage with somebody and ask them how they're doing, I would be intent on spending the time to find out how they're doing. And that's a reality of what it looks like when we care for people. It's, a, it's part of being honest people of integrity. And, and so when we tell our kids things, when we tell our, our family things, when we share stuff in our community, we need to really be thinking about this particular issue of, of truth and, and, and being honest. Peter is, is being, he's struggling in this part because he wants them to believe what he's saying. Why? Well, because he's lying. Do you see what he's doing? He's trying to convince them that what he's telling them is the truth, but it's not. And so in that moment, he's adding to what he's saying to try and give more validity to the lie. What I've been convicted of in my own heart is that there's times, I think, where I'm trying to convince people that I'm being honest, and it's even just a habit now. I, I don't think about it as I'm getting ready to say something. Man, if I say honestly, they'll believe me because I'm, I'm putting more emphasis on this particular point of truth. I don't think through that. It's a natural response. Uh, but my goal is to not lie. And that's my heart. I don't want to be a person who people have to question, is what he's telling me true? When, when I ask you if... if how you're doing? Am I, is, is he being honest? Does he really want to know? Now, please don't make up stories just to like spend a bunch of time and seeing if I'm being honest about wanting to hear your story. If you're doing good, just tell me you're good and leave me, let, let me go and talk to somebody else, okay? The reason I tell you that is because I would do that. If you told me that you were really struggling with being honest and you wanted me to do that, I'd, be look, I'd look at you and I'm like, man, I gotta, I'm horrible today. Let me tell you about it, just to see if you were being honest. That's just how I'm wired, and it's not very nice, but it's what a parent would do, maybe, to help you grow, right? 
Peter is determined to deny this to the point where he's taking an oath to convince people that the lie is the truth. And man, do we do that with our sin. The worst part is the person that, we're norm- that we've convinced the most is normally ourselves. It seems like when it comes to sin, we're the first people that we convince that uh, the, 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 the lie is true. We make excuses. We, we rationalize our behavior or our attitudes or our sin. Um, getting onto the freeway last night, uh, following a, a person, and uh, we got onto the Liberty Lake exit. Isn't that great, the Liberty Lake on-ramp? I was following a Toyota, and uh, we entered the freeway at 40 miles an hour. No, we weren't going around the corner at 40. We were merging into traffic at 40 miles an hour. Now listen, that's dangerous. That's just irresponsible and dangerous. What was my attitude? I was deeply concerned. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> I was concerned about my bride's safety. <laughs> Honestly, I was con- <laughs> I was furious. And you know what the worst part of it was? This, the worst part of it was I've, I'm tailgating the guy trying to get ready to go. And, I mean, I'm waiting, waiting for traffic to clear so I can get out and go around him. And I'm not in my race car, so I can't just jump out in front of people because I'd get killed in, that, in the little flex. So I'm sitting there waiting, and we're, we're driving for quite a while because imagine that 40 miles an hour makes a road jam on the freeway. Here's the bad part. I get to my son's house where we're going for dinner, and my son, who is a horrible tailgater, I'm not going to tell you which one, He's a horrible tailgater. They had driven by me at the moment when all this was happening. He didn't see us get on. He just saw me. He saw us at 40 and, and people just like flying by us. If, you, if people driving by you 30 plus miles an hour faster than what you're going, that's, it feels like they, you know, that's a, quite a big difference when you're moving. Anyway, he flies by me. His comment to me was this He goes, Yeah, I was wondering what was happening, man. You were really riding his tailgate. Now, when my son, who's a tailgater, tells you that you're tailgating, you're way too close. (laughs) Why why do I share this? Because it, it doesn't seem to matter where I go or what I'm doing. God continues to give me opportunities to expose my heart, to expose how quickly I become angry, how quickly I turn back into the person that wants my own selfish desires met, how quickly I, I, I just will lose my temper, become selfish. All of those things happen, and they happen in a drop of a, of a hat. They happen in a moment, and it doesn't seem to matter what I'm doing. I can be driving to church to preach. I, be, I can be having a great day with nothing else going wrong. It doesn't seem to matter when. Uh, th- those moments are brought to uh, an opportunity for growth for me. And Peter's in that exact moment. I I think his is far more profound than anything I've shared with you at this point. But my goal is not to, I'm not trying to compete with his problems. I'm trying to share with you how common they are for us, how easy it is for us to be in the same spot. And at that moment, as Peter's making this proclamation, as he's trying to convince everybody that he's telling them the truth, he hears the rooster crow. 
And, and, it, and it brings to reality the truth of what's just happened to his life. And by the grace of God, because of what Jesus did in sharing with him ahead of time, it exposes the failure of his heart. It exposes the reality of his heart right there at that moment. Which I think is one of the gifts of God. It's one of the beautiful, beautiful gifts of God for us. Look at what uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. When the rooster crows, it brings to reality for Peter something that you and I need to take hold of and consider deeply. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. God knows what we're doing. Uh, it's probably one of the things that frustrates me the most about my own sinful heart is how often I think, uh, I, I know the truth. I know that God can see everything I do. I know that he is the one who's evaluating my heart. I know that he sees that to him darkness is light. I know all of these realities, and yet there's moments that I still choose my sinful fleshly desires. I still choose selfishness and pride and anger and greed and all of the things that we see in the text. I still at moments choose one of those things to respond to life or respond to other people. And yet God knows our failures. Jesus proves this for Peter, right? He tells him ahead of time. Peter, you're going to deny me. And he doesn't just say you're going to deny me, but he, he makes it evident for Peter how accurate his knowledge of his failures are. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter fulfills and follows through and fails in this moment. And as the rooster crows, it brings that reality to hand. In fact, in the passage of Luke, it actually says that uh, as, as the rooster crows, Jesus turns and looks at him. And he's standing in eye-to-eye contact. But Jesus, aware of his failure, aware of that moment, the exposure of that moment, it's painful. It's a reality, I think, that sometimes we need to wrestle with just a little bit more. That God sees our heart and he sees our sin. I mean, let's just be honest. When the police are out on the road, everybody obeys the speed limit just a little bit better, don't they? Y'all know you do. I do, right? I mean, I try to most of the time, honestly. Doesn't that work great? <laughs> just start adding that every time you're making something up just a little bit. Then we'll all know, oh, this is a fish story. I do, I, I really do. I, I like to be in, in, the, in the window that when I see the officer, I, can just, I just keep driving. I don't change what I'm doing because I'm not driving in a way that's going to get me a ticket. I, I, that really is my target. That's my goal. And so 
when I see him, I don't normally panic anymore. As a teenager, when I saw him, oh, it scared me to death. I always thought, why didn't, why doesn't God do that for us? Because we'd do better if we had the police around, spiritual police. Problem is, it didn't work in the Old Testament. Kind of had a spiritual police system back then. They had all the laws, and they had people watching over them and regulating them and managing them, and like they added laws to try and help you be better at doing what you're doing, and that still didn't work. Now the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have his word in us. We still struggle with this. Look at what uh, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 12, says. And the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When the rooster crows in Peter's life, his, his denial of Jesus is exposed. It, it's, uh, it, it's revealed, his heart is laid open, and he's convicted by that reality of his sin, of his failure. And I, as much as I don't like his response, I love his response. Because when Peter sees his response, what does it say that he does? He broke down and he wept. He saw the failure of his heart when he saw the brokenness of who he was and how he'd failed Jesus. He broke down and he wept. Peter was broken because of his failure, because of its exposure. Which again, I think we should remember is the gift and grace of God that exposes the brokenness, exposes our failures so that we can address them even here on earth. We can address the reality of our sin. The question that I'm wrestling with and, and I want us to wrestle with and I feel like God's really been challenging me this week is, are we broken when we see our failures? You know, there's a difference between being sorry you're caught and sorrowful for the failure of your flesh. I don't know if you've ever seen it in your kids, but there's a difference. You can see it when they're sorry that they got caught doing what was wrong, and you can see a difference when they realize the brokenness of the decision, the, the way in which they wounded you as a parent by lying or, or how they failed uh, in, in, in the, the family structure, whatever the, whatever the issues are. And I believe that there's a big difference for us as Christians when we're sorry for getting caught and we begin to realize the horrible darkness of our choice when we chose sin. When we had an opportunity to choose to not sin, but we chose sin instead. One of my favorite Psalms, uh, Psalm 51 King David is expressing this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, and it would be a great read to go in and, and read the whole psalm. But Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17 says this. Psalm 51, verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not 
despise. Isn't it amazing that here, you know, aren't you guys glad that you weren't chosen to be written in the Bible? I, I, I look at this and I look at Pete's life and I'm so glad that I was not picked as one of the, the examples for everyone else to watch with all of their flawedness. And then God asked me to preach. And I share with you almost weekly my struggles with my flawedness. I hate it. I really don't like it. I do not enjoy having to be honest about all this stuff. Honestly. That's the truth. I really don't enjoy sharing with you how much I struggle with, with having a heart that's right. And, and yet here in God's sovereignty, he exposes this and he puts it on paper. He helps us to see this even in King David's life, the failures in King David's life. And, and, and he exposes these realities so that we can see our sins, so we can see our issues, and we can look at them and address them. And, and it's amazing because we looked at this, I think, I don't remember, it was a couple of weeks ago, but where Jesus is actually sharing with the, 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 the uh, scribes and the high priests that they're not going to get another sign because they have the sign of Jonah. And in that, uh, in that explanation of the sign of Jonah, Jesus says that Nineveh will stand in judgment of you because when he, they heard the word of the Lord that came from Jonah, they repented. Look at Jonah chapter 3. You've got to see this. It's an incredible response to, my guess is, Jonah was not the best evangelist in the market at the time. I'm just guessing with his attitude towards Nineveh, his, his, his sermon was not laced with love and grace. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, all 10 verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, and from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published uh, through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. <clears throat> Are you and I broken when we see our failure? Here are the people of Nineveh, a wicked and evil people, respond to the word of the Lord, and they lament. They, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they go into weeping and mourning, recognizing the consequences of their sin. Now, I guess one of the things that I realize is that part of our challenge is that we know that we're, we're redeemed, 
We know that Christ paid the price, and we're going to look at just two passages real quickly as we close this morning. But I wonder if part of it is is that we've experienced the uh, the participation trophy syndrome. Is it possible that we as a Christian community have have so uh, been in, in, indoctrinated with the gospel that we've lost the awe of the holy God that is going to over look over our lives and, and actually give us the judgment of well done faithful servant? Have we become so comfortable in our relationship uh, as a Christian, in this identity as Christians, that we've lost the, the glory of the God that we serve, the holiness of the God that we approach, the mighty awe of the God that we claim to be children of, that we claim to be disciples of? When we think about this idea of being broken for our sin, I believe that part of what the the reality the the truth that we need to wrestle with is who God is and, and and whether or not we are measuring up. And I'm not saying that we're not going to stay there. This isn't a this isn't a oh let's go out and weep and mourn because that's not what we get to do. Peter didn't. I, I know he's in pain, and we're going to watch that be resolved in a few days. We're going to actually get to see God restore him, and well, it'll be couple of weeks for us, but in a few days it'll be God restoring him, uh, and, and it's a beautiful picture of restoration, and, and I know that we're not there, but I do believe that we should take a minute in our days to evaluate our sin, to look at the reality of the wretchedness of a person who knows the truth, who knows the Redeemer, but looks at a sinful opportunity and says, I choose this instead. That should break our hearts. And we should weep for those moments. We should understand how wretched that moment is when we choose those things. 1 John tells us this, 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's the hope we have. It's the joy. We don't stay in the mourning posture. We don't stay in sackcloth and ashes because we are redeemed. Jesus has died. He has risen from the grave. It's a beautiful uh, joy of the gospel. It's the reality that you and I get to celebrate, and, and it's part of what we celebrate in Christmas, and it's part of what we celebrate in Easter. It's the joy of the Christian faith. That Christ rose from the dead and he paid for our sins. And not I, I love the word propitiation, although it's a pain in the neck when you're doing your, uh, your, your uh, ordination paper because somebody wanted to argue about what its actual meaning was, so you have to defend two different words which mean the same exact thing. Drives a logical guy like me nuts. Just say what you mean. No. We're not doing this. But what it means is that Jesus, not only, not only did he cover our sin, but he paid the penalty. He, he took the wrath of God for you and me. He experienced and car carried the wrath of God for our sin. So you and I don't have to do that. But how wretched a moment that we choose to sin then in light of that reality. It should break our hearts. And out of that brokenness should come rejoicing. 
Because in the reality of the redemption of Jesus Christ, you and I are not stuck in the brokenness of our sin. We are not doomed to the penalties of our sin because Jesus paid for them and he's offered us a way out. You and I have the opportunity to praise God because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What a glorious truth that is. So I think we should probably take a moment and ask the question, even this morning, am I broken for my failures, for my sin? Is my heart broken, even this week, in the moments that I've chosen sin over faithful obedience? It would be good for us as a church to wrestle with that reality, to take a moment of quiet confession and acknowledge those that reality in our heart. Acknowledge them that the fact that maybe you and I have become so complacent with our salvation, so comfortable with our Christianity, that we are not convicted by our sin or the corruption of our heart. I'm going to give you that opportunity just quietly um, to do some business with the Lord this morning. And then we're going to celebrate. We're going to praise the Lord, and we're going to, we're going to sing our way out. Uh, I, I believe it's it as well, right? We're going to sing our way out because it is a celebration of the reality of the gospel. That even though you and I are broken, Jesus knows our brokenness. He knew our brokenness when he went to the cross. It's amazing to me, even in Ephesians, it says that he foreknew us. Before the foundation was laid, he knew you and me. He had predestined us to a, to a, a life of holiness and adoption in his family. So we get to celebrate. Would you just take a moment of quiet reflection and wrestle with the question, are we broken in our failures? And then when you get to that spot, I want you to take a second and confess those moments. We are told in 1 John 1, 9 to confess our sins. We're encouraged in Scripture to confess to one another. So if you need to do that, find somebody you can confess whatever issues you're struggling with. With It's amazing how much easier we address our sin when we're doing it in public. It's a much bigger choice driving down the road going, I don't want to talk about this tomorrow morning. Helps me to deal with some of my life issues. I think it'd be good for all of us. Let's just take a moment of silence and ask the question, God, am I broken when you show me my failures? Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I want to thank you for this week for me. What a blessing and, a, and an incredibly um, 
gracious gift you've given me this week as I've been wrestling with this reality of asking the question, am I broken for my sin? Am I broken? <clears throat> Do I respond like Peter and like pretty much every other biblical character I see when their sin is exposed? Or do I stiffen my neck and I, do I become more rebellious and stubborn in trying to defend myself? God, this week has been an amazing opportunity as I've been wrestling with that question and you have been exposing in my heart those moments that I've chosen to sin. I've chosen anger, selfishness, greed, pride, whatever those issues are. I chose those. Father, this morning I want to confess that, that it's because I love my sin and I like the flesh. And I know that and I don't want that to be true. God, I want to love you. And I want, to, I want that desire to be overwhelming in my heart. So, Father, as we do confess this morning, as we even wrestle this week with confessing when, when these things pop up, Lord, I also know that we get to celebrate. We get to praise you. We get to exalt your name. We get to testify to the world that you have given us hope. You are the source of our joy and our redemption. God, in the deepest, uh, most horrible state that we, you found us in, while we were still weak and sick and sinners and your enemy, Christ, you died for us. That is great news. That is good news for those of us that are here on this earth for your creation. God, help us to celebrate that this week. Help us to exalt you in the glory of who you are. Help us to evaluate the, the wretchedness of our heart by seeing a more clear picture of your holiness, your, your awesomeness, your majesty, your righteousness, your justice, God, your grace and your mercy, all the things that many, many more of your character that we can see through Scripture. Help us to look into those things and to be overwhelmed by them that it would give us a right perspective of our sin, that it would give us a clear perspective of our heart, and that, God, it would expose our deep and incredible need for you, that we would turn to you, that we would depend on you, that we would follow you, we would cry out to you, Lord, that we would desire you. Just pray today, Lord, that you would overwhelm our hearts, that you would do the work in our hearts that only you can do through your word. And you would continue to change us to complete what you have started. We give you the praise and glory, Lord, because you are worthy of it all. In your name, amen. Won't you join us in our final song, It Is Well With My Soul.
Father God, it is well with our souls because of you. And we thank you and we praise you for that, Father. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Where the good way is and walk in it. And find rest for your souls. May this be uh, our prayer this year. This coming year. That we may find rest for our souls in you. And only you. Not in anything going on around us, Father. And that you would stand with us as you always have been, weeping with us, rejoicing with us, laughing with us. You're never gone and you never will be. And we thank you, Jesus, for reminding us of that each time we get together and each time we open up your word to hear you speak. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.